This is episode 33 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore events podcast. We're continuing with Women's Camp 2019, SOMA, One Body, One Spirit. This is session three with Deanne Welberg. being on the second night and having my two friends go ahead of me. Mary, I love you. She's tomorrow morning. It's like, hurry up. Just somebody get me to the starting blocks already. Um, Just waiting for it is hard. So it has been so amazing to be here this weekend. And I have had the chance to get to know some of you and to talk to you. I've got some fellow Wilsonville peeps in the house. Shout out right there. Um, I'm from Wilsonville, just south of Portland, if you're not aware of that um, suburb area. My husband and I have been there for about 16 years now, and um, we have three children. My oldest got married last summer. Uh, She is entering into her senior year, her and her husband at George Fox University. And my middle daughter just finished her freshman year at University of Oregon. Go Ducks! Um, And then my son is going to be a senior this year at Wilsonville High School. So we are almost empty nesters, 27 years of marriage. Uh, He was my high school sweetheart, and he is um, a businessman, my husband, Patrick. And um, through a lot of hardships that we have gone through in marriage, all of us could attest to, um, I can honestly say our marriage is stronger today than it ever has been. And I would not have thought that was possible had you asked me 10 years ago. Um, So I'm just so thankful to God for that. So it is an honor to be here. Uh, What I do is um, I actually studied to be an elementary education teacher. That's what I was doing once upon a time. And then when I started having little ones, decided to stay at home and um, the highest calling out there, motherhood and the hardest one, I would argue. My husband and I have had several discussions over the years how much money a mom, a stay-at-home mom would actually make. And we're pretty sure it's at least 250000 So it's a pretty good salary, ladies. Um, so I've been home with my kiddos. And, and when I had the opportunity to go back, I got pulled into women's ministry. And I co-founded a ministry in Wilsonville called One. And it is a women's community Bible study. We meet on Wednesdays at 930 all throughout the school year. If you're ever in town, come. Um, It is for the entire community. We open it up. It's very interdenominational. And we have live worship just like this. We have live teaching. And we break out in small groups. And we love it. And it's in those kind of relationships that I met Julie Widman and Joy Roberts and the Joy of It team. And um, I just get to ride their coattails now. They invite me to cool things like this, and I say, yes, I would love to. So um, I'm here this weekend, and it's just a delight for me to get to know you guys and to um, just have this privilege. It really is a privilege. So I have a heart for this message. Um, In fact, our name of our women's ministry is one, based on John 17 and Ephesians 4, that we would be one. It's a call to unity, a call to tear down the walls that have been up for far too long. Um, And we are sisters in Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for letting me come and share tonight. I'm just going to quickly pray to settle my heart. Lord, I invite you into this space. Uh, Just let what was spoken over me. Let them be your words that come from me tonight. Holy Spirit, just um, touch each heart in a way that only you can do. We invite you here, and we just thank you for beautiful worship that just set the stage for your message. In your name, amen. Well, tonight I get the opportunity, and you'll notice I'm a total visual teacher. That's what I do. I'm kind of known for props and things like that. So 
um, I was thankful that I could bring a little PowerPoint. It's how I roll. And tonight I get to kind of pick up where Julie and Ashley have left off in this whole discussion. Um, tonight my focus is fighting individualism and loneliness. And so we're going to kind of talk about the how. It's going to be really practical tonight. So I hope to keep you awake with some visuals because it's hot and you've had a long day playing in the water. So um, first one I wanted to let you know is last, last month, um, actually in the month of April, I had the privilege of going to Nashville for the Q Conference. Has anyone heard of the Q? Capital Q Conference. Julie, one in the house. Okay, a couple people. Highly recommend it. It is uh, founded by Gabe Lyons, and it's been going on for uh, many, many years now, but a beautiful opportunity for Christians to come together and to have really challenging conversations about really tough things that we are facing today as Christians in our culture. No subject is off limits. You will walk away really challenged and excited about a lot of things. You will not agree with a lot of things. And you will go, huh, I'm not really sure what I think about that. And it is so good. Um, but it's every year right now in the month of April in Nashville. And um, so while we got, had the privilege, my husband and I were there with some friends this time, we got to hear Senator Ben Sass, And he is from Nebraska. And one of the... Um, it's all kind of like TED Talk version, so you can bring your husbands because they like the like short version. It's all nine minute or 18 minutes. So just a little plug for the men, they love it. Um, so Senator ben, ben Sass was there and he talked about what he called the loneliness epidemic. And I just want to tell you what he said because it was so powerful in setting me up for tonight. He said, we are living through the biggest mass suicide in US history. This has been the third consecutive year of declining life expectancy in the United States, ages 25 to 45. The last time was 1962 and 63 when there was a bad flu season that bridged two years driving the data down. No other industrialized nation has this happening. The two biggest killers that we know of are heart disease and cancer, 50%, but those rates are starting to go down. 81 years is the average age of life. Life is now safer at the beginning and longevity is also increasing at the end. So what is happening? We are killing ourselves. A massive epidemic of what, it, what they are calling deaths of despair. Opioids, suicide, alcohol, drug addiction, liver disease. Ben said, the epidemic of deaths of despair among us is a canary in the coal mine in the much larger epidemic of loneliness in our time. Community is in collapse. Workplace is in collapse, friendship is in collapse, and I would add, family is in collapse. Males tend to not make any new friends after the age of 25. He went on to say that this is because once, once upon a time, men would typically stay with their job places 20, 25 years. Their friends came from those places. Now the average is 4.2 years of how often we move to, to job to job. 60% of males ages 65 and older define their wife as their best and only friend, whereas 29% of females say that. 40% of Americans say they either have either zero to one friend that they ever confide anything important about, and that includes their spouses. The di digital revolution makes us less needed. As we grow rich as a nation, our smartphones redefine how we interact, we are more disconnected from the very people who shape the longing of our souls, and that's community. We've heard a lot about that this weekend. I wanted to point out, too, that in a USA Today article just last month on June 13th, I found this, 
it said that drug-related deaths ages 18 to 34 soared 108 percent the past 10 years, while alcohol deaths were up 69 percent and suicides increased 35 percent. Wah, wah, pretty heavy stuff. I've yet to meet a woman who doesn't long to have trusted friends that she can lean upon during difficult seasons of life, find laughter with on the lighthearted days. This longing to know and to be known at the deepest levels is a shared human condition, one that our creator built into our DNA, ladies. Studies have shown that a lack of connection, in fact, leads us to loneliness, shyness, low self-esteem, self-consciousness, social withdrawal, and anger. And advanced stages of disconnection leads us to social isolation, depression, substance abuse, poor sleep and appetite, suicidal thoughts and behavior, impaired immune and cardiovascular functioning. Sadly, today there is more relational disconnect than ever before and loneliness is skyrocketing, like Ashley and Julie mentioned. In a Psychology Today article, it says, in our advanced digital age, one of the prevalent concerns regarding the increasing emergence of loneliness is how we have become less caring of others. At one time, our very survival depended on trusting and supportive relationships. Fundamentally, it doesn't matter how technologically sophisticated we become, emotional connectivity remains a core part of being human. And that from a secular magazine. So as we've already heard this weekend a ton, um, it's fun because Ashley and Julie and Mary and I, we did not get together to discuss the details of what we were planning. We just were given the overall topic and so much of where the Lord has taken us is so similar. So you're going to hear some parallel things and that's okay. I think God wants us to hear it repeated this weekend. But we know God's heart for community. We are also women and we know that we are prone to comparison and we battle insecurity on every front, don't we? And so Julie didn't know this, but I was going to take you guys on a little trip to the beach in order to gain some, some insight as to what's happening in our culture today as we begin disconnecting from each other and we're battling individualism and loneliness in epic proportions. So you have to know something about me. I love parables. And the good thing is, is I'm in good company. Um, one third of Jesus's teachings were in parables. So I love that um, because that's how he talks to me. It's through visuals, and those, you know, parables really are just brief stories told in the way of analogy to illustrate a spiritual truth. So these, these parables are not perfect. I'm sure you could find some holes, but just roll with me, okay? So I'd like to first, this first parable is kind of to reiterate and give a visual for what has already been expressed and taught to us this weekend. So one day, the parable of the starfish. One day I was at uh, Cannon Beach. Everybody been here before? Yay, you're going to want to go here after this parable. So um, they're doing a really, really rough time, rough patch in my marriage, and just falling apart. Um, it's when God speaks to me the most, I think, is when I'm hurting and struggling, when I cry out to him. And I was walking down the beach by myself, and I just saw a haystack rock in the distance, and God just began to pour into me his heart to remind me who he was. And he reminded me that just like haystack rock, of all of his characteristics. He is strong, he is massive, he is timeless, he is unmoving, he's filled with wonder, he's beautiful, there's so much discovery to be found in him. He provides for us 
when we draw strength from him, on and on it went as I just walked the beach and just looked up at this massive, and you know, as you get closer, it becomes even bigger, right? Just this beautiful picture of God saying, I am like this rock. Don't forget, who is your rock? And I came around, and I got closer to it, and it was low tide, and so up against the rock, as you can imagine, you know what I saw. I saw a starfish. We've seen these, right? And the Lord began to speak to me and say, just like this starfish, I want you to have this oneness relationship with me. The starfish, if you know, if you've ever tried to pull one off the rock, my mom taught me when I was like eight after I pulled one off, that was illegal, don't do that. Um, but it's really hard to get them off. They're just stuck on there. They, they just really hold on tight. And just like a starfish just clings to the rock for protection, right? For strength. When the storms come all around, it just kind of hides inside the cleft of the rock. And the rock provides the nourishment. The barnacles, the fish, they just kind of come to the rock. And there the starfish is being provided for, sheltered. And I was reminded of that verse in Deuteronomy where God says to Moses, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. And I just thought about that starfish idea, and I, I fell in love with starfish after that. Bought necklaces and bracelets and everything. I just said, Lord, I want to cling to you. You have to be my everything. Without you, there is nothing. I want to be that starfish all the days of my life. And I started thinking about it when we came here and we're talking about diversity and all the beautiful things we bring to the table that Ashley talked about today, our uniqueness. We all enjoy the sameness, right? We are made in the image of God. We are women. We are sisters in Christ. We are daughters of the King. But just like Ashley spoke about, we have all this unique distinction, characteristics that make us different, beautiful diversity, and I just wanted to point out that so do starfish. <laughs> Ladies, over 2,000 species of starfish. And guess what? If you were to ask them what they were, they'd say, a starfish. <laughs> like, okay, so take a look. I mean, which one up there would you be? I know, I can, I can just tell you. Yeah, you need to whisper to your neighbor right now, which of those starfish best resembles you? Which one? <laughs> If it's the prickly one, you're in trouble. <laughs> Got it? I love it. Oh, yeah. There's some laughter. Okay. So you get the idea. He is a God of variety, right? We see the same thing when we look out at our universe. We see it in the birds. We see it in the fish. We see it in trees, flowers. We see it everywhere. He's a God of variety, and I love that. I love that picture of how unique we each are, yet we are starfish. And then I rounded the corner, and I'm just, again, just spending time with the Lord, and, and soon I saw what you've all seen before, which is a picture of all those starfish clinging to each other and to the rock. Isn't that beautiful? You know where I'm going with this. 
We are better and stronger together. They come together literally to add layers of protection. Have you ever tried to pull off a starfish when they're, they're like intertwined like that? Impossible. So they do this to bring protection. They bring nourishment to one another. They have this oneness in their community of starfish, which is the coolest thing ever. It's like God just said, hey, do you want a picture of community? Look at the starfish. I know. Isn't that just amazing? But what about the starfish is one of the biggest predators? Anybody know it? Oh, I heard somebody say it. Totally. Humans would probably be up there too, I know. But a seagull, and by the way, I snapped this picture myself. This was the complete, like, God giving me the full parable here. Just like Julie stated, right? When we go off on our own, we isolate from others purposefully or unknowingly, ladies. We set ourselves up to get picked off by the enemy. Scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion or a pesky seagull, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies and that he was a liar from the beginning. His methods have not changed, sisters. He still uses lies to get us to believe that we are better off alone. You know women who believe this lie. You yourself at times have believed this lie. And then when he has us all lonely and feeling disconnected and having our little pity party, right? He gets us separated from the very community God created to sharpen us, to encourage us. Then he pounces and he adds another layer of adding feelings of insecurity and more brokenness. So let's take a look. I wanted, I wanted to just show you a few of the lies I came up with. I'm sure you can come up with more. Just a few lies that, he, that we tend to believe when it comes to disconnecting. Dependency is weakness. That's a big one. I just read a, a, a line the other day where it says, independence is a privilege for the strong. I mean, our culture is all about independence right now, isn't it, ladies? So to say God wants us fully dependent on him, what? Dependency is weakness. They will reject me. I'm not good enough. I'm in control of my life. God will fail or forsake me. I have nothing to offer anyone. I'm better off alone. My depression is here to stay. They're not like me. They're all hypocrites. They will judge me. I'm not likable, lovable. Change is not possible. Forgiveness is optional. I have a right to remain bitter, resentful, and distrusting or I can find satisfaction in the six Ps. This is what I call them. When we think we can find satisfaction in people, pursuits, possessions, pleasantries, positions, or performance, we're in trouble. We've bit a lie. And the list goes on and on. My partner always talks about how Satan has a, a file on each of us that he keeps in his file cabinet. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we're going to easily be led to believe because he knows from our past, right? He's not God, he's not omniscient, but he knows our tendencies. And so he will pull that out and he will use those lies again and again. And it is, so it is our job to replace those lies with truth. We know that. So we heard Julie talk about what God's heart is for community. We heard why unity is so important from Ashley. So how, how do we fight against the individualism and loneliness in our culture today?
to look once in a while. It's an epidemic, and here's my simple answer, and then we're gonna get into some hows. I believe we stay connected by refusing disconnection. It's real tough, isn't it? We choose a life of unity, ladies. And I think Jesus demonstrates the answer to this question beautifully as we look at his life in the Gospels. Sisters, this weekend is all about being reminded of the truth that God created community so that we could thrive. Does anyone here tonight want to thrive? I'm so tired of living the weak, you know, faith-filled life where I wake up every day and it's the monotonous, same-o, same-o, and I walk around feeling no different than anyone else, and yet I'm claiming a Christianity and a belief and a Holy Spirit-empowered life, and yet I'm not walking in any of that. What is going on? What am I being robbed from that I don't get to walk in the joy of the Lord as my strength from day to day? Something's going on. And I believe so much of it has to do with our daily work before the Lord and what he wants to do in us, and it is what we do in community together. I want to reiterate what Jesus prayed when he prayed for all believers. I do not pray for these alone, John 17, also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That they may be one, that we may be one. One with the rock, our source and our strength, one with each other, so the world would know Jesus. Is there any question in our minds of God's heart for oneness, ladies? None, right? Like, we can't, we can't refute that one. We're not going to stand before him someday and go, well, I didn't know, because it was really hit hard this weekend, oneness. So how do we stay connected? I'm going to jump into my parable number two. And this is a team parable, okay? So you're going you're gonna to learn a couple things about me right now. Um, so I want you to picture some team that you've been on in your life. It's a, if it's a sports team, great. If not, if you've never been on a sports team before, try to think about, you know, choir or band or cheer or ministry team, a professional team, something where you had to work together cooperatively and there was somebody in charge, okay? There's got to be a coach, so somebody in charge. You got it in your mind? Got the analogy? So for me, it was basketball. So I'm going to show you a really embarrassing picture of me my first year at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois, and there I am, number 24, front row. I was the scrappy little point guard, played, played a college basketball um, at Moody and at Eastern Oregon University. Um, loved it, loved playing basketball my entire life. Uh, my coach was on, on the right here, her name was Coach Wartleft, and she was intense. She had, she had been coaching at the Division I level and decided she just wanted to take a chill pill but coach and go to Moody and, and lead women to Jesus, and you're going to hear more about her soon. But um, when I first started playing for her, I, I didn't see it coming. Let's just put it that way. I'm going to come back to that. And then years later, I took my love for sports, and I coached my daughter's teams for a long, long time. Um, basketball and then lacrosse at the high school level. And so I've been often told that my teaching style is a bit coach-y. And I'm not talking coach purse-y, like coach-y, because I, I can get into it and I can fire you up. And I do a, a whole lot of inspiring, a whole lot of encouragement, hopefully modeling. But I also have a tinge of tough love. So I'm known to say, suck it up, buttercup. 
and put your big girl panties on, okay? So there might be some tough love tonight, um, but I hope it's mixed in with a lot of love and encouragement. There's a beautiful parallel in a sports team analogy, and I want you to go there with me. How do we stay connected? What are the practical things we do to fight the loneliness that is right around the corner? First of all, we submit. We submit to the coach. We surrender to him. John 5.30 says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is Jesus, seeking the will of the Father who sent him. Submission. Matthew 26.39, Jesus demonstrates when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will, constantly submitting to the Father and his will, taking that exchange that Jesus was feeling in his humanity and saying, I submit to you, Lord. You see, the coach knows the game plan. The coach pushes us to get stronger. The coach encourages us, supplies what we need. He is in charge, and he knows what's going on. And as a member of the team, we are asked to submit to the coach. Why? Because he has a best in mind for us that will require our surrender to his will. And is it any wonder that Satan and the world today attempt to distort everything that God has a best in mind about? I mean, seriously, humanity is adept at redefining what we think is best, right? We're redefining marriage, sexual morality, ethics, human rights, idolatry, materialism, religion. And all of it leads down the path. If this is the path to God and his best, it just leads us slightly off kilter, and suddenly we're on a path to despair and to death, right? Death of relationships, death of our physical bodies, death of our emotional well-being, death of our mental health. All of it designed by the enemy to just take us just a little off the path of what God's best is all towards self-enlightenment and self-absorption, right? Yet the coach has the best plan in mind for us. It's one with purpose, blessing, satisfaction, and joy. When we submit to him, it will require letting go of our own plans. We do have to accept his strategies, ladies. It will involve strengthening our spiritual muscles as he asks us to discipline our time with meaningful time in his word and in prayer. This is going to bring out the 80s in me. Do you remember the movie Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio? <laughs> wax on, wax off, right? This is the picture. You cannot get spiritual muscles without daily repeating what God requires for us to get to know him and to grow up in our salvation. He asks us to discipline ourselves. We will have to endure some challenging training sessions, no doubt about it. He prunes the branches from our lives that are not bearing fruit, and it hurts, doesn't it? Those ugly things that get brought up. It's probably been bringing some things up this weekend. You can't put a bunch of women together, including myself, and not have the ugly come up, right? The comparison automatically creeps up, the insecurity, oh, shoot, look at her. Like the junior high girl comes out in all of us when we gather as women. What is that, right? I mean, I normally would be wearing a hat and sweats, and instead I've got fancy shoes on and a cute blouse because I wanted to look cute. See, I totally went along with it. It brings out the ugly, and God wants to cut it back. We're going to have to say no to the lures of the cares of this world, distraction, 
materialism of our day, striving for success. Others are asking us to coax them, and we're like, no, we can't do that. Oftentimes, we may not understand where the coach is leading us, yet we're to trust him, right? Why? Because our coach is Jesus. He's so worthy to be followed. He's an amazing coach because he loves us. And if we are struggling with a submission problem, then we're struggling with a relationship problem, ladies. If we don't want to surrender to something that's going on, like, I don't want to do that, that's a relationship issue. Because it's one thing to ask the coach some questions for clarity. It's another thing to question the coach. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I had a coach in college that I just flat out didn't agree with anything that she was doing. I was mad. I questioned her and one day stormed off the team and said, I quit. Big difference between that kind of questioning, because that kind of questioning the coach is, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you have my best in mind. So it shows something, doesn't it? Somewhere along the way, we've probably created a distorted view of who God is, so we come up with a messed up view of who we are to him. Identity, right? Because it's really easy to submit to Jesus when we know he loves us unconditionally. And oh, by the way, he already sees you, sisters, as beautiful and worthy and complete in him. Did you know there's nothing that you can do to earn his approval? Nothing? He already has what he, ha what he needs, ladies. Newsflash, no gold stars are required to make him happy. He already has everything. He loves you just because of who you are. How many times do we have to hear that? How many times do I have to tell myself that, Lord, I am enough because of who you are, not because of anything I can do or be? Hallelujah, praise God for that. Jesus submitted to his Father consistently. From the beginning of his earthly ministry in Matthew 3, we see him choosing to get baptized by John the Baptist. Remember that? And John the Baptist questions him, and Jesus says, no, 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 I want to do everything that God would require. This is to fulfill righteousness. He was submitting. It was a submission thing. Many times in between, we see Jesus submitting again and again up until the night of his betrayal. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Jesus is a great model of that. And I love the picture of Jesus submitting to the will of God by baptism because he goes down into the, into the water, comes up completely soaked, in the and the spirit then what? Descends upon him as a dove, and the father speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see, spiritual training in submission to the coach will always lead to us soaking in the spirit, ladies. You cannot submit and surrender to the God of the universe, full surrender, and not be completely soaked in the Spirit. He gives this as a gift to us, not earned, but given. It's like that big training, hard workout you've had. If you go run that 5K tomorrow, when you come back, you're going to be so thirsty because you've been submitting to the will of the Father. You've been surrendering, and suddenly he gives you the Holy Spirit, and it's like an amazing drink in a desert. The gift of his living water. Submission and soaking go together. You cannot submit and not, and not find incredible satisfaction in the living water that comes from sweet surrender. Can't do it. Just as Julie spoke about the woman at the well in John 4, chasing after everything else in this life to satisfy her, right? People, mostly. We see Jesus offer the greatest gift imaginable. Living water. That's his Holy Spirit. 
Fast forward two, three chapters. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his where, lady? Out of his heart. It is coming from within. Coming from within. He spoke this concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We are on this side of the day of Pentecost. We get the Holy Spirit. He gets to come and reside in us. He is already here. And Jesus says he wants to spring up in us like a well, a fountain. It's already here. We already have him. And yet we're singing songs often about bring your, your spirit down on us. Pour out on us, Lord. And I'm thinking to myself, huh, I really wonder if we should be singing, Lord, overflow us from the depths of the fountain of what you've already given us because he's here and sometimes we just need to submit and soak in the reminder of his spirit and allow him to overflow. A fountain to overflowing. Notice that this is soaking in the spirit which is given to you, not striving, which is a human effort where you're working for it. Oh, I got to work for that Holy Spirit. I got to work for it. No, it's a gift. And it's one he wants to pour out every day. We can be soaked in his spirit. Sisters, when the Holy Spirit's having his unobstructed way in us, we experience a satisfaction like none other. The problem is, most of us are cracked pots. <laughs> we just are. We have areas of our lives where we battle sin and woundedness, and these are what I call cracks. So our spiritual journey in this life is to allow the Holy Spirit to access those areas that need his healing balm and to repent of the things holding us back from wholehearted devotion to Jesus. I mean, have you ever wondered how you can have this incredible quiet time in the morning with the Lord, and you're just all like, well, this is so great. God, you're so good. And like 10 minutes later, your husband comes down, and he says something really rude, and your kid comes down and says, Mom, where's my breakfast? And suddenly, you're just like fleshing out all over the place. Like, where was that Holy Spirit moment, right? Cracks. I'm telling you, it's cracks. This is why Jesus said we would daily, and many of us would say moment by moment, need to come to him. Give us this day our daily bread. Every single day coming to him, submitting, and soaking in the reminder of who we are to him. Ladies, we can't just come to a women's retreat once a year and expect to get all we need from the Lord, soak it up, and then go back and have enough to live out 364 more days till we come back. It's never going to work. And we're going to walk around empty and dry. We need to come to him. Starts with the connection to the source of our strength, our everything. He is the spirit of truth. This sanctification process is daily. It's a choice, and it's a beautiful one that he's given us. That's how we walk in Holy Spirit empowerment. So the next step, how? How do we stay connected? We submit to the coach. We are soaking in the spirit that he provides. And the next thing is, we see our woman at the well, right, overflowing with living water. She couldn't help but overflow to those around her. Julie talked about this. When the Spirit is having his way in us, and we are soaked to the brim in his presence, we can't help but want to give it away. We can't help but want to go tell somebody about it, go love on somebody. And I really do believe that so many of us struggle with loneliness today because we are not pouring out for others the way Jesus did. We are called to serve the body of Christ. This would be like playing on a team 
I was playing on a team, and this happened to me. Um, that freshman year, going back to my Moody Bible Institute days, we were playing in a game one night, and I had played through high school. I, I was really a competitive player. And, um, but no one had ever talked to me. I was even a pastor's kid, but I, no one had ever talked to me about playing for the Lord, playing for his glory. So I played for me, myself, and I. So here I am on a, on a you know, Bible college basketball team, and I'm out there having a terrible game. I can't make a shot, threw away the ball a couple times, and my coach pulls me out, and I come over, and I just kick the bitch as hard as I can. And I sit down really hard, and I'll never forget. She came around, circled around to me. She got this close to my face, one inch, and she said, you will learn to die to self. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> yes, coach. Whatever that means. And that's what I got to learn the entire year. What does it mean to die to self? Because if you've ever played a team sport, you will know that you will only be as good as your teammates around you. You will never be good by yourself. You play on a team, you'll never. I mean, you might occasionally do something good, but your team will be terrible. And so as I coached years later, I remember I used to gather my players around before the game, and I would say, who are you going to make look good tonight? Who are you going to make good? Because you've got to take your eyes off yourself. I want you to notice that serving does not come before submission and soaking. How many of us trying to serve from an empty, dry place? We think that's going to earn the brownie points in heaven, and it's not. And we're tired. We're burned out. It's never enough. Anybody get the martyr complex from time to time like I do? Like, I'm just doing all this stuff for you, God, for my kids, my husband. It's never enough, right? That's because I'm doing it from a place that is about me. And so that creeps in so easily. We have to do it and serve the body of Christ over the, out of the overflow of his spirit in us. Who are you going to make look good tonight? There is something about serving others that takes our eyes off ourselves, doesn't it? It fixates our eyes on Jesus and others. In John 13, Jesus reminds us that greatness is found in serving. He washes his disciples' feet. Let's read it together. John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The posture of a servant. Whatever serving is for you, it will look like the love of God. You have different talents, different gifts, different personalities that you bring to the body of Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. But the moment you start serving the body of Christ because you want people to look, look at me, you want your name and lights up on the big screen like I did, oh, everybody, look at me, look at me. Guess what? God's not pleased with that. It's pride. 
And the moment you do the opposite, and you say, oh, I just want to make everybody else look good, and I just want to just don't look at me, nobody look at me, that's false humility, and that's also pride. Right? So we got to analyze what's our heart behind the servant. If it's not from the overflow of Jesus, then I would say don't do it because you're going to burn out. It's not with the right motivation. This old mentor of my dad's, um, my dad's been a four-square pastor for 45 years. And an old mentor woman of his used to say, just love them for nothing, Ted. Love them for nothing. That's what we're called to do. Love the body of Christ for nothing. If we think we're going to get something back, our motivation is wrong. Even a thanks, we shouldn't even want that. And I love how Oswald Chambers says it because it's very coach-like. He's one of my favorites. He says, quit praying about yourself. Spend your life for the sake of others as the bondservant of Jesus. That is the true meaning of being broken bread and poured out wine in real life. Not beautiful. The next one is, we are to surround ourselves with a circle of friends. Jesus surrounded himself with a circle of friends. He says in John 15, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slave. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love one another. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. These were a diverse group of Jewish men who would share life alongside of Jesus for over three years of ministry. Can you imagine the conversations they may have had along the way as they went from place to place? Right? Laughter over funny mishaps. They had to have had them. Teasing each other the way all men do. Can you imagine? I, I can just hear it. Moments of irritation when they were hangry for their next meal. Anybody? I mean, these are men. Stinky feet from walking those dusty roads and needing a good bath, right? Amidst the deep moments of teaching and the awesome miracles on display, they would have experienced Jesus as their rabbi, no doubt, but they also would have experienced him as their friend. Sometimes we think of our Savior as only serious and laser-focused, but Scripture is filled with God's heart of joy and celebration. He would have been skating and dancing, doing the electric slide last night in here with us. We are wise to remember that Jesus demonstrated a life that surrounded himself with intentional relationships of others who could sharpen him, care for him, and pray for him. The Garden of Gethsemane, you remember? He brings his friends along and he says, my soul is crushed with grief to death. Stay here and watch with me. He invited his friends to come along because he was in agony, just like we would do with friends. He asked for intentional people to come alongside of him. It was a beautiful thing. So if Jesus surrounded himself with friends, how much more do we need friends? And I have to continue on about this because this is where I get pretty excited about friendship. I'm pretty passionate about this subject because just as we battle positioning for posturing in our friendships, okay, the disciples did the same, and I'm going to explain that. Remember in Matthew 20, and I'm going to pull it up right here, where it says, and the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John's mom, Mrs. Zebedee, 
came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asked something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. And Jesus says a couple other things about that. But then the 10, when they hear it, are totally displeased, right? They were greatly, they were ticked off with the others. The two brothers they weren't happy with. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, our natural default, I've noticed this, as humans, as women especially, if we're honest, is a longing to be someone's first, even their one and only. We bring this into friendships, we struggle with jealousy, we feel threatened when someone attempts to take our positional place. I mean, we think of it only in middle school, right, when there are lots of cliques or maybe high school, but if we're honest as women, we still see this as women today. It's all around us. I'm convinced that the majority of all friendship heartache stems from being valued by that position. You need that position. I gotta be number one. Yet Jesus shows us a better way. He removes position altogether. He says, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. This is a no position. A slave had no position, ladies, none. Just to serve. That servant thing again. Even within our friendships, we are to take a no position. BFFs are overrated, ladies. They really are. You live long enough, you will learn this lesson. They are overrated. They leave your life. Rejection happens. Hurt happens. You are wise to copy what Jesus did. If we consider what the shape of friendships would look like, instead of it being a lineup, first, second, third, in line with you know our bestie here, and you know a line, it would be a circle. It would be a beautiful shape of a circle. It would be ever-expanding, just like Jesus' was. He brought in women to his circle. He brought in the 70. They, he sends them out by two. He would bring in all these other people, this beautiful circle. It would look inclusive, and it would say to other people who are wanting into that, you can come on in. Come on in. There's room for more. It's a beautiful thing. A circle of friends. That's what we need to surround ourselves with. Get rid of the lineup, it only hurts. Once again at the Q Conference, I got to hear Dr. John Townsend. Have you guys heard of him? He co-authored the book um, with uh, Henry Cloud, Boundaries and Safe People. And I want you to hear what he said. This was so cool. I heard a lot on him, but I know I'm going long, so I need to wrap it up. So he, um, he said to us that we need to be have shared outside of our vertical relationship with Jesus. We need to be horizontally surrounded by three to ten authentic and healthy friendships at any given time. He called them our life team, and he teaches that they, they will have these characteristics, full of grace, vulnerable, never judge, they will have shared central values, full of truth, willing to have structured conversations, and they will be working on their own stuff. Amen. And you know what that means? That they will be authentic, they will be healthy, and my group of friends, we call this to let the cellulite hang out. <laughs> See, white women laugh at that. Ash, Ashley and I remember this. I was like, yeah, what? I know. We, we just, it's, more, it's more obvious on us. 
We tan our cellulite. We do everything. We wear Spanx. We try to hide it, don't we? We do everything. But in terms of letting it hang out, it's this idea that we would just say, hey, this is me. This is the real authentic me. Love me for who I am. It's a beautiful thing, and that's how it should be in friendships. Ladies, are you surrounded by a circle of healthy, sharpening, let the cellulite hang out, sisters? Because if not, this weekend is providing you a perfect place to begin with. Finally, our final thing, we need to see the wounded sister. Oh, this one tugs my heart while we wrap up tonight, ladies. In the context of unity and humility, Paul reminds us in Philippians 2.4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We see example after example in scripture of Jesus meeting those wounded people in the margins and seeing the lies that they have bit, the lies that they have believed to pull them into isolation. And what does he do? He pulls them back into community, back into his love. So who? Right now, you can think of someone right now you know. It's probably more than one who's struggling. They've pulled away from community. They're lonely. With our, with our team analogy, this is the sister in Christ who has been injured, sidelined, subbed herself out of the game, right? She's maybe been injured by the church who judged, maybe judged her sin really harshly. A Christian friend maybe betrayed her, maybe by a parent who used religion as a means to control her behavior. Maybe she was injured by an abusive husband who demanded submission in an unliving manner. Maybe she was sidelined because of circumstances that have forced her to feel inadequate or unworthy. A divorce, bankruptcy, adultery, and addiction. She feels she can only look on everyone else who deserves to be in the kingdom game. Maybe she subbed herself out. I need out. Happens all the time. I look at my players like, what? What's wrong with you? I'm tired, coach. Tired, worn out, burned out on the serve. Comparison to constant battle, spiritually out of shape. Feel like your performance is too subpar to be used by God, so why even participate? I'm just going to sit on the bench. How do we come alongside of her and see her isolation for what it truly is? How do we encourage her to get back into the game and start believing she is a valuable member of the team, much needed? Just like Ashley shared this verse, in the context of Christ as the head of the church and the church as the body, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. How many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are isolated and thus not bringing any of their gifts and talents to the team? As much as the Lord is calling them back into the game, we who are striving for oneness must open our eyes to see those around us. This is the power of invitation, ladies encouragement. Many of you probably invited um, sisters to come this weekend. It's a beautiful thing because a lot of us won't go. We won't go outside of our comfort zone without that invitation. Encouragement, practical hospitality, just showing up with a meal in, in a time of need, belonging. People are desperate to know that they belong. So who do you know that is wounded and needs you to not just see but to act? How do we fight individualism and loneliness today, ladies? We stay connected. We cling to the rock with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We strive for oneness. We fight off the lies of the enemy who wants to keep us isolated. 
we submit to the coach. We soak in the Holy Spirit empowerment that he provides. We serve the body of Christ regardless of what they give back to us. We surround ourselves with sharpening friends in a circle, a beautiful circle, and we see the wounded sister. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you for being a God who looks upon us and loves us so desperately with such incredible passion, Lord. You see the hearts of all of us. You know us individually. Scripture says you know every hair upon our head, God. You know the concerns of our hearts. You know where we have battled our own lives and believing that we would be better off alone instead of in community. For some of us, you know that it was hard just to come this weekend and say yes to this. This was a big deal. And so, Lord, I know that you're just smiling upon them and saying, I'm so proud of you, daughter, that you came. This was a big step. And Lord, for others of us, we've been having problems submitting to you. And so right now, tonight, Lord, I pray that as we just bow our heads, we say to you, Lord, if this is the area where relationship has been broken with you, because we have not wanted to surrender to your plans, God, we just say yes to you being the lead of our lives. We surrender whatever our plans are for yours. Lord, we want to just say yes to your Holy Spirit as you give it as a gift to us. You empower us, Lord. We want to walk in that. Help us to have the discipline daily to walk in that strength, to know that your presence is a known factor, whether we feel it or not, Lord, to know that you are of the fullness of you dwelling inside of us, God. Lord, stir up our hearts to serve the body of Christ. Where we have just uh, pulled ourselves out of that, Lord, I pray that you would give us a new longing to love people right where they are, to love them for nothing. Jesus, even if we've been wounded in the process, yep, the church is messy, it hurts, but God, you want us to step back in and you want us to serve because we have so much to offer out of the overflow of your love for us, God. It is from your overflow we serve. Remind us of that tonight. Refresh in our lives if we've been serving from an empty place. And God, will you, will you show us and surround us with friends that you've placed in our lives, Lord, that are ever-changing? Lord, they're fluctuating. They're in and they're out. But Lord, at any given time, you want us to have healthy friends to surround us who can speak truth, who can see blind spots in our lives and call us out on it in love who can hold us accountable to things that we know are not of you, God. We need those kind of friends. Will you show us who they are? And Lord, will you help us to see, stir our hearts for the wounded sisters and brothers around us who just need a touch of your love, God. We want to be women who love you so passionately and love others well, God. So show us where we maybe have been blind where we haven't been willing to step into a, a messy situation, God, give us your heart for those people. We know who they are, God. Help tonight to be a yes to step into that. Praise you, Lord, for this night, for the conversation that's going to come after this, for worship, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for all you've done. Amen. <laughs>